Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, here we are, guys, right here. And I have a question. Why did there have to be a chapter four in Jonah? Well, we're going to figure it out. Why did there have to be a chapter four in Jonah? Why did the story have to end there? Now, let me refresh all your memories. Let me refresh your memory as we go into uh, today's uh, uh, chapter four of Jonah. That in chapter one, if you recall, Jonah flees God's command and he puts the lives of the sailors at jeopardy, at risk, if you remember, that was chapter one, that Jonah decided, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to flee, and I'm going to put everybody else around me at risk because of my disobedience. And then in chapter two, Jonah is then swallowed by a big fish, a very unusual thing to happen to a person. Um, haven't really heard of it happening often since then, but it was God's saving grace in a very unique, in a very weird way, to be honest with you. And then in chapter three, if you recall, last time we got together, Jonah uh, it was really against his better judgment when the fish dropped him off, or really threw him up right there at the gate of Nineveh, that against his better judgment, he preached the word of God with using only five Hebrew words in front of the entire city of Nineveh, and that the very sinful city of Nineveh repented of their sins, and the entire city was saved, including the king, who immediately made a decree to repent and worship the God of the Jews. This is great news. Mission accomplished. I mean, this is great. Nineveh is saved. A happy ending if the story ended there. If the story had ended there, we would have a good, solid story of God using a hesitant, perhaps unqualified, individual to do a great and a mighty and amazing thing. This would be something that all of us have seen before throughout scripture time and time again. Just a few off my head is I would think of Joseph and Moses and even David. Or you are taking a maybe a hesitant individual to do a great and mighty act through the help of God. But instead, all of us, we are given chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Jonah, a very strange, and I'm put it frankly weird, chapter. It's odd. When I was sitting down to write this sermon, I was like, this is weird, you know? I'm going to have to dissect this. I'm like giving my best shot. <laughs> so right now, at this moment, where we're left off and going into chapter 4, Jonah is now looking at a very different city than what he saw at the beginning of chapter 3. It's not the same city anymore at the beginning of chapter 3 that it is at the end of chapter 3. When we start this chapter 4, we instantly, immediately, within the first few words of this chapter, we instantly get an in-depth look at the condition 
of Jonah's heart. Instantly. He didn't waste any time. Of what his heart looks like after the mighty hand of God has been displayed for all to see. This is after, not before, not when we're filled with doubt of, of is this going to happen or not. No, it's after we've seen the mighty hand of God, as where chapter 4 picks up. And you would think that Jonah would be overjoyed. He would be excited. He would be ready to follow God anywhere. But no. That's not what happens. After seeing what God did, we have verse 1, which says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Became angry at God. This prophet, the prophet Jonah, this prophet of God is upset that God did what God does. He's upset that God came and saved the city and that he will not be bringing his destruction upon it. He's upset. That he is upset that, that, that he is going to have to accept the fact that they've been saved. This is a man who has heard the audible voice of God. He has literally heard the voice of God, who he himself is the voice of God to his people, and who, by the way, has preached redemption and repentance many times in his life, and who is now angry at God for doing the very thing that he said he was going to do. The thing that God will always do. And Jonah is furious. He's furious. And he's not going to hide it. He's got a few words for God. He's not going to bottle this one up. Actually, he hasn't bottled anything up so far. <laughs> but he's not going to bottle this up. He's going to share his thoughts. And so Jonah says to God, hear this. This is Jonah speaking to God. He says, this is what I said would happen. This is what I said would happen. This is what I was trying to avoid you doing. I know, I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who does everything he can from sending destruction. That's what Jonah said to God. And then Jonah, Jonah knew, even at the beginning of chapter 3, when he walked into Nineveh, Jonah knew at that moment that the city was already going to be saved because he knows the character of God. He knows God. He is a prophet. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was kind of being disobedient. He didn't want them saved. He knows the character of God. And he is angry, and he's basically saying to God right here at the beginning of chapter 4, how dare you save these people? How dare you save these people? You should have brought your judgment on them. That's the only thing that should have happened. And Jonah, he even finishes his talk with God. We'll call it a talk. With God in this moment at the beginning of chapter 4 by saying, Now take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. That if you're going to save them, kill me. Now, 
I don't want to be around, probably particularly in this conversation between Jonah and between God, but I want to tell you right now that if Jonah felt that strong about them not being saved and that he himself wanted to be killed, then perhaps he really truly had that much hate for them or maybe he didn't think they were worth to be saved to begin with. But they're not savable. Now, normally I would stand up about this time and I would say something along the lines that we should probably be like the prophet that I'm preaching about. But I'm not sure that's the case today. I just want you guys to know that I'm not 100% sure that that's where this is going to end up. But God, he heard the cry of Jonah. He heard the cry and he saw the heart of his prophets. And he responds to Jonah right off that. He says, why are you angry? He didn't bring down his judgment on Jonah. He just said, why? Why are you angry? Why are you angry that these people got saved? Why does that bring you anger and hate? But instead of responding to God's question, what we see is Jonah leaving. He doesn't respond doesn't answer back. It just leaves. Probably the same way when I tell my son to clean his room. And he just stumps off. Yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that often. But, you know, yeah, my wife's like, oh, well. But, um, but, you know, probably like a, like a child who's stomping off. You know, he just leaves. And what he does is that he goes right outside the city, right outside the gate of Nineveh. This is where Jonah goes. And Jonah, what he does is he makes himself a little shelter, just a little bitty shelter there with a little bit of shade over his head, the scripture says. And he decides to wait to see what is going to happen to the city of Nineveh. Now, do you, do you see what Jonah just did? God is telling him, why are you angry, child? Why are you angry about these people being saved? Mm, 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 mm. I'm going to wait right here. That he is literally, Jonah is literally setting up camp with a front row seat of the city. He is waiting for Nineveh to fail. He is waiting for them to turn their backs on God, to ignore the warning that he preached, and for God then to bring his mighty hand of justice and destruction on that city. And he wants to be there when it happens. So either... As I said before, Jonah hates these people that much or he truly believes that they can't be saved. That they are unsavable, unredeemable. And Jonah knows, he knows, he's already said it. Jonah knows that God's love is gracious and compassionate. But come on, I mean, it's the Assyrians. Come on. And so Jonah Waits and sees. I'll be here. No rush. I'll be here. But the scripture says in that moment, right when Jonah was doing that, God instantly from the ground grew a plant right over Jonah to provide shade for him as he waited. Oh, Jonah was very happy with this plant. Covered him shade, felt good, temperature was just right. 
Scripture says that it was comfortable. Oh, yeah, it felt good. felt real good. And, you know, maybe, maybe Jonah thought that the plant was a reward for finally doing his job, going and doing what God said. Thank you, God, for this plant. But the next morning, which, by the way, tells me that he waited all night. So the next morning, God had a worm come and eat and kill the plant. Man. And then it withered, and immediately the shade was gone. And when the sun came up that morning, God had the sun scorch and blaze Jonah's head to the point that he was actually getting faint. He was starting to get a little woozy there. And so the scripture says that it was so hot, that it was so hot that day that Jonah wanted to die. That it was so hot that he wanted to die. He even asked God to take his life. He says, God, it is so hot. Just take me now. Now, I can relate to this being from Texas, of course. I know what that feeling is. It gets really hot there. There's been a few times growing up where it was like, we're getting close, God. <laughs> we're getting close. But I also just want to take a moment here and just say that Jonah might have an anger problem. Uh, this is the second time in the same chapter where he's told God to just kill him. Take me now. You know, I'm just, that was just a little side note, but, you know, something I know about. But this chapter, right here, chapter 4, it finishes. We're almost there at the end now. That it finishes with God saying, Why are you concerned about the plant? Why are you so concerned about this plant? He says, Is it your right to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, Well, it is. It is my right. And I'm so angry, just kill me now. Why are you so concerned about the plant? You didn't put the seed in the ground. You didn't, tend, you didn't water it, tend to it. You didn't do these things. In fact, the plant was only there for one night. It was mine to give, and it was mine to take. Likewise, who are you to say that I shouldn't have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people needing saving. And their cows, too, it says that. It says in their animals. And then that's it. That's the end of chapter 4. That's the end of the entire book of Jonah. The end with the cows. And it ends in the middle of God getting to the point. The punchline with Jonah. We never see Jonah's response. We don't see if he got his act together or nothing like that. I even, even thought, well, maybe if Jonah was pinning this story down, maybe when he got to that part, he just went, well, we'll just skip this part. Yeah. I don't know. That's where it stops. That's where it ends. But it ends with God showing his concern. That God was concerned that Jonah had more compassion for a plant that gave him shade for one day than the 120,000 people that God saved from total destruction. That the shade of a plant was worth more to Jonah than the souls of men. God knew he was speaking to a hardened 
hearts. He knew that. The other day I brought up the story of Jonah to my son. And I asked him if he remembered the story of Jonah. We have a little uh, script time in the morning, scripture time, where we go through a story, like a kid's uh, Bible kind of thing. And so I was pinning this down, and I was asking him, do you remember the story of Jonah? Now, of course, I expected him to say, yes, it's the story with the well, the big fish. But instead, he said, yes, Dad, I remember. It's the story with the worm. The worm? What? <laughs> he says, the story with the worm. But I will admit to you, because I love you, son, that that comment had me reflecting on that statement. The moment, reflecting on the moment between Jonah and God in chapter 4. It got me thinking that perhaps, just perhaps, Jonah isn't a story about the fish. But maybe it's more about the worm. Not just a story of salvation, but a story of sanctification, a condition of the hearts. It's not by accident that we have just seen a story of God saving a city of 120,000 people to then come back to just save one. Like a good shepherd who noticed that he had lost only one sheep with 99 to spare, but he stopped everything to go find it, to retrieve it, and to bring it home. Jonah, my conclusion to the book of Jonah is that he needed saving. He needed saving. From the very beginning, he fled from God. He brought pain to the sailors. He tried to commit suicide by jumping off the boat. He was swallowed by a big fish. He reluctantly spoke the word of God as a prophet. He reluctantly spoke the word of God. And then when the nation repented with almost little to no effort on Jonah's part, his heart was filled with hate and anger for the people and for God. Jonah needed saving. And based on everything I've read, based on every little commentary I read this time, every little piece of research as I was collecting all this data about Jonah, and I am, man, I can tell you anything you want to know about Jonah now, but I was collecting all this stuff. What I have, I, everything I've researched about, that if, if Jonah was alive during the time of Jesus, that if he was alive during the time of Jesus, that if Jonah was in Jerusalem on that day, oh, the day that Jesus was arrested, the day that Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, the day that he stood before Pilate to go on trial, the day that Jesus was before the great crowd as he stood there, I have everything I've read, everything I've researched up to this point is that I believe that Jonah would have been in the crowd that day saying, crucify him, crucify him. Thank God for Jesus. For when his own people shout, crucify him, that he still went to the cross. 
that he still went to the cross to die for you and for me, that he wasn't dying for the body, he was dying for the hearts, for our soul, that when we, you and I, shall crucify him, that he's that good shepherd who says, yes, I'm coming for you, coming for your heart. I haven't forgotten. I know you're weary, I know you're tired. I bet you Jonah was. Oh, I bet you he was exhausted. Exhausted being angry. He was exhausted being hateful. He was exhausted. And God is going to Jonah as he's going to you and me, and he's saying, give it to me, child. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Is there anyone you hate today? Is there anyone you're holding anger and hatred in your heart right now? Jonah tells us that God will save them even if you don't want to. Let go of that hate. Let go of that, that anger. And let Jesus give you peace. Give you rest. Or he may send a big fish. I'm just saying. But this, this is Jonah. That he did it for Jonah and he'll do it for you. That when we reflect and then we look back on and, and at the entire book of Jonah, we see the journey and the process in this very short four-chapter book that maybe, just maybe, that this whole time that the mission wasn't to take the one person to save the 120,000, but to take the 120,000 to save the one. That Jesus, that God will come and meet us on our desert top and our self-pity and our anger and our hatred, maybe in our loneliness. The shepherd will come. He'll come. He'll come. Today I'm going to tell you that if you feel like you're not worthy, that's a lie. That's a lie. You are. I'll just disappear. He'll never know I'm gone. He'll know. He'll come and he'll pick you up and put you over his shoulder. Rest, 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 rest. Come, come. If you don't know that shepherd, if you don't know Jesus, then today, today's that day. To come and get the ultimate rest. Get the, to let go of anything that maybe you're holding in your heart, anything that you are just, just wanting, it's weighing you down. You could get rid of that. That could go away. Because I have faith in Jesus. That he will come and cleanse and redeem. Because you know what? I bet you, I'd be willing to bet that there are times where you and I have felt like in our life that we're not savable. We're not redeemable. The things that I have done, Lord, the things that I have done. But God said, that's my child. I love you. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come to the altar and just to kneel down and just to pray and to just give your life to Christ to him today. Amen. And if you're online, 
and you want to find Christ and have brotherhood and seek with you in prayer, you can just write us, email us, and we will follow up. But we thank God for his everlasting love. And I'm going to close with this. When I was writing the sermon and all that, there was actually a song that came to mind. Uh, and you're not going to hear me sing it. But I thought of in Christ alone. In Christ alone. I want you to just close your eyes. I'm just going to read the words. I want you to hear, receive them. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fierce droughts and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, oh, here in the love of Christ I stand. And in Christ alone, who took on flesh, amen, fullness of God and helpless babe, that this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. There in the ground, his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, and then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, and for I am his and he is mine, brought with the bought with the precious blood of Christ. And now there's no guilt in life. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till, till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen. 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 Father God, we just pray right now that, that if there are any hardened hearts in this place, be it online or in person, that Lord, we just ask for your soft and tender mercy to chip away at it. To just and come and Lord, may we be surrender ourselves, Lord, to you. So that God, we, we, could experience your rest, your salvation, your redemption, Lord. So that way, when we all sing together on verse 4 of In Christ Alone, we can sing no guilt in life, no fear in death. For this is the power of Christ in me.
Hear our prayers today, Lord. Let your word be spoken with truth and void, Lord. If I said anything incorrect, anything wrong, correct me on the spot, God. But Lord, we just pray because we truly believe you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah who is sent for all and is for all. God, we thank you for Jonah and for what that means in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.